Amen and amen. All right. Title of the message is called Doing the Impossible, Matthew 15, 32 through 39. Uh, you can follow up on the screen or you can turn there in your Bibles yourself. And we pretty much stay with one text. I do bring a lot of scriptures in, but it's always going to be focused on that one central text. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, and after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. So Jesus, just kind of a way to give you a little context of what's going on here, was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, which would be known as Gentile territory. It wasn't in Jewish territory, it was in Gentile territory. And we know that because of the context of the chapter and the stories that preceded this one. In Matthew 15, 21, it says, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman from the region, came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. After the healing of this woman's daughter, Jesus went up on a mountain, presumably on the same side of the lake, and many came to him to be healed. Again, we know this from the immediate account prior to our text. It says in Matthew 15, 29-31, Jesus went up from there, walked beside the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain, and he sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. And so that the crowds wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So what we're going to do now is we're going to, with that context, we're going to jump back into our text, and the first point we're going to bring out is the will of God revealed. Man, how many of you know that Jesus is the Word of God made flesh? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, John 1 and 1, John 1 and 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, the Word made flesh. So Jesus is the will of God. The Word of God is the will of God. Jesus is the will of God, and Jesus reveals what he wants to do. It says in Matthew 15, 32, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassions on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they don't have anything to eat. Does this kind of remind you of the, the wilderness when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and all of a sudden they didn't have no food and God said, hey, I'm going to feed you, right? But this is in Gentile territory. So we have a record of God feeding the Jews in the wilderness and now we have a record of God feeding the Gentiles on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles. He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. But anyway, he says, I'm, willing, I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. So while during this tent meeting, we'll just call it a tent meeting because we just had a tent meeting, but it was a much bigger tent meeting than the one we had. Even though the one we had was pretty good, uh, this one was a lot bigger because there were 4,000 men. If there's 4,000 men, there's more than likely three to 4,000 women. And how many children, uh, you know, today... 
we have one or two kids back then they'd have eight or nine ten kids so let's just say there's at least 20,000 people there right pretty big tent meeting how'd you like to baptize 20,000 <laughs> a crowd of 20,000 in there well anyway Jesus calls his disciples to himself and reveals to them his plan for the rest of the meeting we're scrapping the agenda we're about to dismiss and you know I want to do something you know okay what do you want to do you want to have a foot washing you want to bat no no I want to feed everybody <gasps> we didn't plan on that what are we going to do you can't call dominoes they weren't in existence back then so he shared with them his desire to feed the crowds what's interesting to me is that Jesus did not tell them to feed the crowds he merely mentioned his desire to feed them it's amazing to me and it's an amazing thing to be in the counsel of God I want you to know we all have the privilege of sitting before the Lord and I don't know if you know this but God loves to talk he created gap he created words right he loves to talk we were created in the image and the likeness of God and before I don't know if you know this but when God first created Adam uh, uh, men and women were not separated God separated Adam and they became men and women so we have that as the image of God that desire to speak and to communicate you know God created that made us after himself he loves to talk he loves to share now he doesn't reveal everything and he doesn't tell you everything but he loves to commune with his children and when he's communing with you he likes to share what he's gonna do and you know the, the the more that we grow in God the more he can share with us there are some things you can't share to a child right but you can share it to an adult but you may not be able to share it to a child because they can't they don't understand it it's not gonna make sense to them and it can actually mess up their world they, they feel unsafe and all that kind of so you can share that with adults as they grow older and there are things as we grow older in God that God wants to reveal to us and Jesus is revealing his desire and it's his will what a what an amazing privilege to be able to hear from him and to receive his plans and his desires for our lives for our families for the communities I'm hoping that God has at some point spoken to you about what he wants to do in your life what he wants to do through your family what he wants to do you know through the community through the church that we belong to God he loves to uh, open up his plans for us now knowing the will of God it's also important to understand that partnering with God is important to realize the will of God in this earth but I'm getting ahead of myself all I'm really wanting to focus on at this particular moment is that God loves to share uh, in the counsel in the relationship that he has with his children he loves to share what he wants to do and what an amazing privilege to be able to hear from him and to receive his plans and desires for our lives and the lives of the people around us his purposes and wishes for the community we live in and the cities in which we reside John 15 14 through 15 says and he's talking to the disciples you are my friends I'm a friend of God whenever Jerry gets a call it's I'm a friend of God I'm like, oh. Yeah, I know it's a change you know I love the song but you know I'm a friend of God it's true we are friends of God but if you do what I command you Amen. right and his disciples were doing what he commanded them. doesn't mean you perfect doesn't mean that we don't have issues it's it's we seek to do his will in our lives right we all mess up 
We all have uh, gray areas where we're struggling, but you know, we're all seeking. If you've got a heart for God, then you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. And then he tells us why. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. That's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants with his children. That's the kind of relationship that he wants with us. And so the will of God, Jesus is revealing the will of God to his disciples. Now let's bring us to our second point. Now the will of God processed. Matthew 15, 33. The disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? God shares with you what he wants to do, and immediately we say, What? How, that's exactly right. Having received the, the desire of the Lord, the disciples immediately perceive a problem. They realize that they don't have the resources to accomplish such a great task. Sharp as they were, that's their perceived problem. Somehow, like, Jesus didn't know that, right? However, the real problem is not what they perceive to be the problem. The real problem is they got their eyes off the who and they began to focus on the how. God was not asking them how they were going to do these things that he was wanting to accomplish. He was merely telling them what he wanted to do. The disciples were muddying the situation by moving into the how and basically short-circuiting what God wanted to do by equating the Lord's will with their ability to accomplish His will. In other words, this is a good thing, God, if we could do it. But since we can't do it, now I'm purposely using God for Jesus. We know He is the Lord, right? But at that particular moment, they were still learning. They were still growing. Yes, you're the Messiah uh, when, when everything's going good. But when everything's not going good, you know, uh, you know, it's like, I think you're still that, but maybe we can teach you some things. Have you ever tried to teach God some things? Well, God, do you know? Don't you realize what's going on? Hello, this is Rick down here. This is Anna down here. He said, we just want to let you know what's really happening just in case you're busy somewhere else in Myanmar or Burma or Somalia. Somalia you know, we're here. And sometimes, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I remind God, Lord, I'm flesh. You know, a day is with, uh, as a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years is, as a day. You know, and I remind God, God, I said, you know, Time is nothing to you, but it's a lot to me. You know, I'm about to be 60 years old. Don't turn away for a moment because I might be gone. Be gone. God was not asking him how to do these things he was wanting to accomplish. He was merely telling them what he wanted to do. Zechariah 4, 6 says, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might. And the context is not by man's might not by man's power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Reminded me of Mary, when the angel Gabriel revealed the will of God for Mary to give birth to the Messiah. Mary didn't know how this was going to happen. 
am I supposed to marry Joseph? What am I supposed to do? No, the angel said that it would be the power of God. And by the power of God, as the Spirit of God overshadowed her, that she would become pregnant and she would give birth. Mary, it's not that she understood it in the sense that how everything was going to happen. She just accepted the Word of God and submitted herself to the will of God. She didn't have to figure everything out. She knew what God wanted to do. She said, let it be under your servant, just as you have said. And the, the angel Gabriel said, okay. And uh, she got pregnant. Next thing you know, she gave birth to the Messiah. And sometimes we're like, well, how's it going to happen? Well, I mean, explain it to me, God. I mean, I need to know. I need to know what's going to happen here. Is it just like, am I just going to wake up one day? And, you know, you know or is, I mean, do I need to go somewhere? Is this a private thing? You know, do you understand what I'm saying? We're trying to figure it out. Mary didn't do that. Okay, Lord, I trust you. Let it be as you have said. And she submitted herself to the will of God. And she let God take care of the rest. God revealed to her what, she, what he wanted to do. She said, yes, Lord. She submitted her will to him. And the next thing you know, God was able to accomplish. It wasn't Mary. Who did it? God. He made everything. He made his word come to pass. But he was looking for faith from Mary to say, yes, Lord, you can use me. Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Luke 1, 34 through 35, I might as well give you the text. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And, of course, we have the birth of Jesus. When God revealed to Moses his plan for the Israelites to go to the other side of the sea, to, uh, uh, he told him to stand in front of them. Moses simply yielded to the will of God and did what God asked him to do. He didn't try to figure it out. He didn't sit down with some kind of calculus and, and physics and try to understand, you know, how this was going to happen. He just did what God asked him to do. He had a part to play, but he wasn't going to part the sea. God was going to part the sea. God is saying to Moses, this is what I'm going to do. And Moses, here's what you need to do. I can't part the sea. There is no way. How do you expect me to do this? But thankfully, Moses had a history with God. And he understood it wasn't up to Moses to do it. It was to God. But Moses had a part to play. Exodus 14, 15 through 16, and the verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Well, there's a sea in front of us. God says, Lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I love this. It says in verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord, who? The Lord, the Lord drove the sea back. Moses didn't drive the sea back. The staff didn't drive the sea back. God drove the sea back. But Moses had his part to play. How did God do it? By a strong east wind all night, he made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, God doesn't give us, and Moses doesn't give us, all the details. Now, Cecil B. DeMille tried to give us some of the details, you know, by the way that he brought it into man. Well, we don't know that's how it happened. We don't know. He doesn't tell us. All we know is that in some way those waters were parted and they were congealed and the wind somehow dried up the path and they were able to cross through. How did God do it? What is the science behind it? What are the physics behind it? We don't know, but we don't have to know. All we got to do is like Moses, if God says stand in front and lift up your hand, you lift up your hand and let me take care of the rest. 
You see what come, uh, 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 so the, the, the third thing that we're going to get to, let me say this first, is the, the will of God then becomes realized. The third point we're going to look at. Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. He didn't ask them how many fish they had. He said, how many loaves do you have? But it was a, it was a time of giving, and they felt charitable. And so they said, we've got loaves and fish. And so, you know what everybody ate that day? Loaves and fish. Now, I preached another message at some point where if they'd had tacos, you know what everybody would have eaten? They would have eaten tacos. Now, I know it sounds funny, but it's a reality. You know, most of y'all take sandwiches to work. So you know what everybody would have eaten? I hope to God it would be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because I don't like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Please take something nice to work in case God asks you to feed the multitude. <laughs> I would think he would like tamales because they all come in a nice little package. But anyway. So he took the seven loaves and the fish. Then having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. What caught my attention in Jesus revealing his desire to the disciples, what that they said, where are we to get enough bread? So they were matching up what they could do with the task that God was revealing to them. In their minds, they could do some things, but they couldn't do this. In their minds, what Jesus was wanting was impossible. But it's what comes next that really got me to thinking about how God works in our mix. When God reveals to us what he's wanting to, to do, the, the, I'm having a hard time, the disciples did grasp something that is important for us to understand. He was wanting them to be a part of what, it, of what he was going to do. Jesus wasn't sharing his desire with them for them to simply stand by and watch. He was revealing his plans so they could be a part of what he was going to do. I just thought about this, but my, my kids, when they were young, they always wanted to go, and I wouldn't take them now, but they always wanted to go to Disney World or Disney, whichever one's in Florida. I think it's Disney World, you know? So we took them. Now, we told them, we're going to Disney World. Yay, we're going to Disney World. We're going, Daddy's great. Yeah, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mommy's awesome. We're going to Disney World. Now, they didn't have any clue of what we were going to do. They didn't know how it was going to happen. They don't know what it takes. They don't know that you've got to book the hotel. You've got to pay for the tickets. You've got to uh, coordinate everything. You've got to make sure the food packages are done. You got, they don't know any of that. They just know we're going to Disney World. Why do we share this with our kids? Because we want them to come with us. We want them to be a part of the experience. We want them to enjoy. Now, do they have a part to play? Yes, they have a part to play. They've got to pack their clothes. We're going to help them. We'll tell them, you need to get this, you need to get that, make sure and bring. But, you know, the joy for us was having our kids participating and going with us. It wasn't, hey, we're going to Disney World, but you guys, you're staying here. We're going to Disney World, and we're going to Zoom everything, though. You can watch us while we're over there. That's not what he... No, we wanted them to be a part of the experience, and God wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us 
to be a part of the experience, it brings joy to us and it brings joy to him. I'll make sense to you. Okay, so he was revealing his plans so that they could be, the disciples could be a part of what he was going to do. The disciples' mistake was to think that what they would do would be in their own strengths and abilities. As we know, they then began to inform Jesus that they basically can get some bread, but not enough bread to feed such a great crowd of people. So then Jesus asked them, how much bread do they have? And they tell Jesus, five loaves. And like I said before, they're feeling generous and a few small fish. So here's the next thing, the most critical thing to me in this thing that got my mind going here. The next thing we see in this account is so critical for us to grasp. It says, Jesus took, actually it was seven loaves. Jesus took the seven loaves and the fish. Why? What what good is that going to do? Why do you need, you're God, you can do everything. Why do you need my loaves? Why do you need my fish? Jesus didn't say that their meager meager rations were woefully short and they should put them away. No, what's interesting is that Jesus took what they had and he used their resources as seed to accomplish a greater work. And that's what I want to concentrate on just a little bit tonight. How many of us know that God's ways are not our ways? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God works in this world not without us, but with us. However, God's work in this world is not simply limited to the natural laws and the way we have learned how things work. God functions not just naturally. God created the natural laws, but God is greater than the natural. God functions and flows supernaturally as well. His work in this world is amazing, but His amazing work requires us to give our talents, our abilities, our resources, whatever it may be. Because the reality is, I can say to myself, why are you going to take my voice? My voice doesn't measure up with anybody else. My life is not as good as this person's life. If it's not going to make that much of a difference, why mine? Use someone else's, somebody that's got more, bigger, better, but God doesn't work that way. We're looking in the text, we're looking at loaves and fishes, but it could be anything. It could be your talents, it could be your time, it could be your availability, but it's also your resources. When we get saved, we are grossly unaware of the way that our minds have been conditioned by the world system that we grow up in, particularly in Western civilization, to resist the idea of the workings of the supernatural and the supernatural workings of God. You go to Africa, you go to other areas of the world, Asia, they're familiar with the spiritual world. They understand there's a spiritual dynamic. They're lost as a goose. 
That's going to go over real well. <laughs> may want to cut that out too. But uh, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're approaching it the wrong way because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man can but to the Father but second to me. But they're familiar that there is a spiritual world and they understand spiritual dynamics to some extent, that they're real. But we've been conditioned to eliminate that. If you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't, you can't map it out, it's not real. But that's not the way God works. It's hard for us to grasp that God can do incredibly miraculous things beyond our logical understanding. Listen, a hand, two fingers growing out is not logical. Going at, to a doctor, I think Brenda was, was preaching uh, uh, one day about a testament, going to a doctor and having your markers for cancer at an incredibly high rate, having experience with God, and the next time you go visit, there is zero? That doesn't, that's not logical. You try to figure it out, and they'll try to figure it out, oh, their machine was broken, or, uh, oh, you know, no, it's God. A mute man, someone that's mute, and then all of a sudden Jesus prays for them and now they can speak. That's not logical. You know what it is? It's supernatural. Great. You know what kind of God we serve? A supernatural God. Great. It's hard for us to grasp because of the conditioning, the way that we've been trained, that God can do incredibly miraculous things beyond our logical understanding. That's why Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world or this world system, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? How does God work? He works according to the way He describes in His Word. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. For the weapons of our warfare. What are the weapons of our warfare? The Word of God, the Spirit of God, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are those strongholds located? Up here. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Well, science teaches us, my teacher taught us, all these taught us that well, this doesn't happen. What God says it does. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, I, I don't believe it. Uh, therefore, uh, if you don't believe it, you're not going to see it. If you believe, all things are possible. Not if it makes sense to you. Thomas, you saw and you believe. Blessed are those who do not see, yet believe. Scripture is not meant to simply give a historical basis for, for what we have become a part of, just to give us ideas of how we're supposed to act, how we're supposed to talk. It's more than that. It is that, but it's more than that. Scripture is meant to change our ways of thinking, to be able to discern the will of God and the ways of God that we might participate with God in His workings in this world. That's good. What do you want to do, God? Got Cliff on this side. I got Cliff on this side. I've got the Egyptian army in the back, and I've got the sea in front. We're dead meat. Oh, wait a minute. Thankfully, there's one person that's not succumbing to that way of thinking and is saying, God! And God says to them, I got it figured out. Don't worry about it. 
Get out there in front of that crowd and lift up your staff. Mm -mm. I can't do that. I can't move that water. I can't make a miracle happen. I didn't ask you to make the miracle happen. I asked you to do what I asked you to do. You get out there and you raise that staff and watch what I'm going to do. In our text, did you know that Jesus didn't refuse what the disciples had? Rather, he took them and began to feed the crowds by blessing what they brought to him. We probably would have said to ourselves, we don't have much. There are other people that they can give, but I don't have anything to give. God understands that. And yet this Jesus is the same one that saw a widow put in two mites. That's very, very little at all. I think two mites made maybe a penny. And he didn't say, take that back. He said, all these people that are putting in all this money over here, he said, she's out giving them all. Because they put in out of their abundance, and she put in all that she had. He didn't give her money back. He didn't say that's not important. He saw what she gave, and I have a, an idea that in the end, it worked out for her benefit. He didn't say, you don't have nothing, just keep it. You, you, there's nothing for you to give. You know what, you need it more than that. No, he took what they had. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We would have said to ourselves, what good will my meager offerings accomplish? Yet when we see Jesus taking the small amounts of food the disciples had and feeding a multitude, that's meant to change the way that we think. And in changing the way we think, it's meant to change the way we act. Like the disciples, if we will relinquish to the Lord whatever he is asking of us, we too can be a part of seeing his miraculous will play out in our lives and through our lives. I once heard someone say, if what you have is not enough to meet the need, then it's probably seed. I need this. Why? Because I want to do this. Is it enough? No. Then if the Lord asks you to give, give. Now, I know I'm going back and forth. This is not a message about giving money, but I'm just saying. Then if he says, give, no, no, I can't give that because I'm believing God for, for something else. Well, is it close? No. Are you going to be able to do it with what you have? No. Well, why is he trying to take? He knows what I want. Maybe he's not trying to take. Maybe he's trying to give. Maybe in order for you to have the harvest you're looking for, you've got to let go of what you have. I think that's what we're witnessing in this miraculous account of Jesus feeding this great multitude. We see another instance in Scripture where the Lord asks something of people that seem so little in helping the situation, yet the results of yielding what was asked for was incredibly and equally miraculous. In 1 Kings 17, 10 through 16, God told Elijah, who had been uh, who God used to, to, to initiate a famine in the land because of the idolatry that was taking place. God, uh, and then God hid him away at a brook Cherith. And at, while he was at the brook Cherith, he said, you're going to be fed by ravens. And then after six months, the, the brook Cherith began to dry up. And he was like, but God knew what he needed. He said, oh, now it's time for you to go to Zarephath. I've appointed a widow there to take care of you. So he goes there in 1 Kings 17. This is where we pick up the text. He arose and went to Zarephath. By the way, the word Cherith 
where he was initially means cutting. The word Zarephath means, uh, uh, let me get it away. It means uh, chipping. Like, so one was a big cutting, and this is like a chiseling, or kind of like a, a, a smaller work that's being done. And so uh, when he was at Cherith, there was a big work being done. Now that he's at Zarephath, there's still a work being done, but it's more of a refining in his life. So when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, see, she was willing to bring him the water because there was water. I got enough water, so I'll give you some water because I got enough water. You see, that's how we think. We think, I got enough. It's not going to hurt me, so I'll give you some. But then Elijah, Elijah asked her, and he said, uh, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, I can't do that. Now, I know it doesn't say that in the text. It's pretty much what's happened. I can't do that. As the Lord your God lives, now she didn't say as the Lord my God lives. She says as the Lord your God lives. So she knows he's a prophet of God. And by the way, she is the widow that God said, I've appointed a widow there to take care of you. But when he gets there, this widow has no clue. I have the idea, well, wait a minute. She's appointed to take care of me. But God, it seems like one of your angels fell down on the job. He forgot to tell her to get a place ready for me. He forgot to tell her. But see, Zarephath means refining. That's what it means, refining. Chiseling, Cherith, Zarephath, refining. He's also working on Elijah. Elijah understands, oh, wait a minute. She is the widow that's been appointed, but God wants to use me to bring forth the fountain that he wants to bring forth out of her life. He wants to use all of us to bring the will of God into manifestation. And so he says to her, bring me something to eat. And she says, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So she's basically saying, I can't do that. How many times has the Lord asked something from us and we say, I, I can't do that. I, I, can, I can give you something else, but I can't give you that. I'm going to pause there. Do you remember, some of y'all were here. I've told this story many times, but I love the story. A little girl would go to the dollar store, and she really, she had a little dollar thing of necklace, you know, plastic beads. And she'd say, can I have it, Mom? Can I have it? They'd go to the dollar store. Can I have it? Can I have it? Mom says, finally, well, look, look, you do some chores here, and the next time we go, we'll get it for you. So even though it's a dollar store, I don't know, maybe $3, whatever the case may be, she buys, oh, most beautiful. She wanted it so bad. She'd wear it all the time. She'd carry it with her. She'd take care of it. It was the most precious thing to her. She loved this little thing. Well, she had this thing for months and months and months, and one day Dad comes in, and he says to the little girl, he said, do you love me? She said, oh, Dad, I love you. I said, you really love me? She said, oh, Dad, I love you so much. I love you, I love you so, so much. And he said, would you give me your, 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 your pearls? that you have, now they weren't pearls, they were real, they were plastic, would you give me your pearls, and she said, dad, I love you, but no, I, I can't give you my pearls, no, I can't do it, I, I can't, dad, I, I love you, so please don't ask me to give you my pearls, he said, okay, so he leaves, comes back next day, and he said, hi, sweetheart, how you doing, 
She says, oh, I'm doing, Dad. She says, Dad, I, she's Dad says, I love you so much. He said, daughter, you love me? She says, oh, Dad, you know I love you. I love you so much. He said, he said if you love me, would you give me your pearls? And she said, oh, no, Dad, I, I can't give you my pearls, you know. And again, $3 pearls are just plastic. But to her, it was the world. She said, I can't give you my pearls. And this happened for, for weeks, and it was troubling the little girl. She knew Dad was going to come in and ask her the same thing. She loved her dad so much. And one day she just sat down and she knew dad was coming and dad comes in. He said, Dad, I know what you're going to ask me. He said, Yes, daughter, I'm going to ask you, do you love me? She said, Dad, you know I love you. He said, Do you love me enough to give you your curls, your pearls? And she had tears running down her eyes. And she takes her pearls and she said, Dad, I want to give you my pearls. He took the pearls. They were $3 plastic pearls. As soon as he gave her the pearls, he put them in one pocket. And out of his other pocket, he bought and gave her a real set of pearls. But in order to give her the real set, he needed her to give her the other set. See, we think sometimes that God's trying to take something away from us. He's not. He's trying to begin a supernatural flow into our lives to give us something better than anything he asks. He's a good The foundation of all reasoning in Christianity, in the Bible, is that God is good. So if God is trying to take something from you, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you enough to die for you. And he knows that if you'll let this thing go, if he asks you for something that you're having a hard time, it's because it's not good for you in the long run, and it'll kill you or it'll destroy you. Or he's asking you for something because he wants to give you something better in return. The Lord is good. Not just good to other people, he's good to us. We have to learn how to think scripturally. Be not conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So anyway, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first, make me a cake, a little cake of it, and bring it to me. Put some little icing on the top and a little candle. No, that's not it. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went, and she did, as Elijah said. She gave him what she had the word of the Lord she did it just like the disciples gave them gave Jesus their loaves and their fists but here's the amazing thing and she and he and her household and in my opinion all the neighbors that found out she had food and they found out no matter how many times how many people she fed it never ran out ate for many days and I want to tell you something it's like three years because the famine lasted for three and a half years. And after six months, he was sent to Zarephath. So that one little willingness to give away that cup full of flour and that little bit of oil in a cake sustained her for three and a half years. Her, the prophet, her son, and her household. Is God good or what? The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. As we mentioned before, the book of Zechariah says, 
This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by your might. Question mark, because it's not really, uh, quotation marks, because it's not really in there, but I'm giving you the gist. Not by your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You see, it's not simply your resources that God is looking for. Rather, it's your heart. It's your willingness to trust, obey, and give. And don't we call that faith? Whatever he's asking of you, trusting that God knows and God wants our best for, his best for us. To, and he is, whatever he's asking of us, whether you believe it will accomplish anything or not, you do it because it was asked. Again, we must recognize that sometimes it's not the direct impact on the need that he is asking. Uh, 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 let me see if I can make sense of what I wrote here. We must recognize that sometimes it's not the direct impact on the need what he is asking us for will immediately affect, but what we do might be the seed that unlocks a greater harvest ahead. So in other words, what I'm saying is that my five loaves and my two fish may not do anything to the immediate need that I perceive that God wants to do, but what I give, what I release, what I do for God might be the seed for an incredible harvest ahead. And in our text, We'll see here as we conclude. In the end, getting back to our text, the disciples were not meant to figure out how to do what God wanted to do. They were simply to yield what they had, and in so doing, cooperating with him, they saw the will of God manifest as the supernatural power of God was released. Through their faithful obedience to give what they had, a whole multitude of people were able to eat as the power of God was released into the natural realm. And by the way, seven basketfuls of loaves and fishes were left over, and it all began with seven loaves, seven loaves, and two fish. Last part of that text, and we'll stop here, Matthew 15, 37 through 38. And they all ate. Who's all? Did you know that Jesus is part of that too? Jesus ate. The disciples ate. The 4,000 men ate. Their wives ate. The families ate. They all ate. And they didn't just have a little crumb. Because the Bible says they were satisfied. Now I want you to know that it takes a lot for me to be satisfied. I don't want no little bowl of soup. I want a big bowl of soup. And I'm going to eat a big bowl of soup, and that's what it takes for me to get satisfied. The Bible says they were all satisfied. Men, women, children, they all had enough, and they took up seven basketfuls full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children, doing the impossible. We serve a God who does impossible things. And that God wants to and will use people to do the impossible as long as we're able to relinquish unto Him. Could be our talents, could be our abilities, could be our resources. Whatever He is asking of us is always going to benefit not only us, but those around us as well. Amen? Amen.